So in keeping with uh, what I like to do on uh, on these weekday masses is when we have a psalm that I haven't done a reflection on that I usually like to uh, spend some time doing a reflection on the psalm and kind of collecting psalms uh, there on my website and uh, in my podcast, these reflections on the various psalms that we've gone through. We have oh, a dozen or a couple dozen now. And so it's nice if you like to reflect on psalms to get a chance to go back and listen to those reflections in the past. So here we are at Psalm 111. And this is, uh, this is a special psalm. It's an Alleluia psalm, which means it begins with the word Alleluia. And it's also what's called an acrostic psalm. So each line begins with a different letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So if this were an English alphabet, we would be talking about it. The, the first line would begin with the letter A, and the second line would begin with the letter B, the third line C, and so forth. Of course, this is Hebrew, so it's Aleph, Beit, Gimel, Dalin, and so forth. Um, anyway, it begins, Alleluia, praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart in the company of the upright in the congregation begins beautifully with the psalmist saying, I will publicly give thanks to God. I will go to the assembly. I'll go to the congregation, and I will tell how wonderful God's works are. Back in our Protestant days, we used to have testimony meetings where you would get together, and everybody was, people would take turns standing up and giving a testimony of what God was doing in their life and how wonderful God was. What we call it testimony meetings. There was no real particular order. Everybody sat down, we sing a couple of hymns, and then we allow anybody to stand up and give a testimony of what God was doing in their life. And this come, and it comes from this concept. That in the ancient Judaism, that's what would happen. They'd come into the congregation and they would stand up and testify to the wonders of God, a testimony meeting. And he goes on and says, great are the works of the Lord studied by all who have pleasure in them. So he begins discussing the works of God, the things we see that God has done. And he says this gives pleasure to people. And that because it gives pleasure, they study them. Sometimes we hear about um, discrepancies or discord between science and faith. And there should be none. Because all things that science studies, these are all created by God. They are the works of God. And the more we study and learn about God's creation, about the works of God, the more we understand God, the more we can perceive who God is. So it should never be a discord between science and faith. But science should build faith up. And faith should give guidance to science. So they work, the two work together. And indeed, here in the psalmist, he says, you study the, study the works of the Lord, study creation, and they give you pleasure. Full of honor and majesty is his work, and his righteousness endures forever. He has caused his wonderful works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and merciful. Now the psalmist is shifting from the works of the Lord to the attitude of the Lord. God has created these magnificent works, 
But in the midst of all this beautiful creation he has given us, he has an attitude of love towards us, a love of an attitude of compassion, an attitude of mercy. It's important to understand God's attitude towards us. So the psalmist writes, the Lord is gracious and merciful. He provides food for those who fear him. He is ever mindful of his covenant. He has shown his people the power of his works in giving them the heritage of the nations. The works of his hands are faithful and just, and all of his precepts are trustworthy. They are to be established forever and ever, to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. So we go from the attitude of God, which is graciousness and mercy, to the provision of God. He gives food to those who fear him, and then to God's faithfulness. That God is always thinking about us, always thinking about our needs, and always caring for us. He operates in faithfulness and righteousness. Therefore, we give him reverence, or in this particular translation, fear. But because we see how good God is, how great God is, how God cares for us, how he has an attitude for us of, of faithfulness and compassion, truth, then we respond to that in reverence. And then he goes to say, he sent redemption to his people. Now, when we think of redemption, we think of the act of Christ on the cross, which is absolutely correct. When the Jews who wrote the psalm, read these psalms originally, when they hear the word redemption, they think of the Exodus. The two are actually the same event. They're both the act of God's redemption. The Exodus redeeming the people of God from slavery in Egypt. And Jesus on the cross redeeming us from slavery to sin, to destruction, to death. He conquered death in the cross. Through his death and resurrection, he has saved us from destruction and from death. He has redeemed us, just as he redeemed Israel in the Exodus. He redeems us in the passion of Christ. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. And then this beautiful call to reverence of God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all who practice it. His praise endures forever. The fear of the Lord, the reverence of God, is the beginning of wisdom and all and gives understanding to the people who practice it. One of the things that we've noticed in our society today, in our world today, is a lack of understanding. How nations, not only individuals, but also nations, do very self-destructive things. They lack understanding because they don't have reverence for God. They don't study the ways of the Lord. They don't study how the Lord treats mankind. They don't study creation in a sense to discover the workings of God. They just study it so they can 
they can know more. They can kind of increase man's knowledge in the hope that someday man becomes his own God through knowledge. The knowledge of good and evil. We know where that comes from, don't we? But yet, by reverencing God, we can study creation to discern the ways of God, to live by the ways of God, to reverence God. God becomes an anchor. Our belief and our faith becomes an anchor which keeps us in a safe place. Release the anchor and the ship will toss and turn and be driven against the rocks or be driven out to sea. We need the anchor of faith. We need the anchor of reverence of God. That is what the psalmist calls us to. And he says, when we reverence God, when we fear God, fear the Lord and, and abide by his ways, then this gives us discernment and understanding. Our Lord gives us counsel and strength. So let us go to God now in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have taught us your ways, especially in the life and teaching ministry of Jesus. You have taught us the ways of God. And you have said that those who abide by the ways of God, those who reverence God and live according to God's teachings. Jesus, you said, it's like someone who builds his house upon a rock. It's solid. It's anchored. It's, it's present. Those who do not live by the teachings of our Lord, those who do not reverence God in their lives, are like those who build houses on sand and when the winds and the storms come, it is washed away. Give us grace, Lord, to reverence you in our thoughts, in our words, and in our deeds, that we might build our houses upon your rock. We pray to the Lord.